say good evening everyone from Chile, UK, whatever time of the day that you're joining us and the, um, the pleasure that's nearly always mentioned from this place of seeing faces that you know, people that you know coming to join us. So we're just going to spend the first 10 minutes just sitting with each other and maybe you might like keeping your screen on gallery view and just cherishing cherishing that you're here and cherishing the connections that that we feel in all our different places so as other people still arrive we'll just pay attention to ourselves and our own bodies
And we can say together the verse of the robe. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. I think there might be something really universal about um, sitting here and seeing people's images arriving and the, for me the heartwarming nature of that um, that we put this practice into our lives and we share it with each other so I'm really grateful that everyone's here and um, I have a lot of gratitude for my teachers and having the opportunity to share some thoughts um, which are really very much sort of thoughts in process. So um, I, as I've been writing this talk, I keep thinking about Suzuki Roshi saying, you know, not always so. So it's like I write a line and I go, oh, not always so. So <laughs> I'm really aware of the kind of, um, yeah, this is, this is a, a snapshot of this moment. Some of the things that I'm kind of really curious about. And um, uh, Suzanne gave a, a beautiful talk last week um, where she was um, thinking about how we might use um, setting intention um, and using our imaginations for good and the long history of that practice of focusing our minds and beings towards something wholesome and good and nourishing and community building. Um, and I was really, uh, really thought about that as a, as a really intriguing way forward. And I was also thinking at this beginning point of the year, you know, I've, I've been back meeting with um, clients again. And uh, they're like, well, you know, what's your New Year's resolution? And I have to basically say I gave up making New Year's resolutions quite a while ago because I've I grew less fond of giving myself things to fail at <laughs> that I know I'm pretty much on a loser. So, <laughs> but I am really interested in what we mean in this practice by intention and um, how we might ha inhabit um in in intention um joko beck said don't begin a sitting period without considering why you sit know your intention know your intention know your intention and she follows that by saying know that there is nowhere to go and nothing to achieve so how on earth do we even locate an intention in the formless field of benefaction in the nowhere to go, nothing to achieve. Um, it feels like one of these gorgeous kind of Zen conundrums 
that we're actually invited to dance with, not solve. Um, and while I was writing this talk, I kept, I had a Leonard Cohen's song, Dance Me to the End of Love, um, was kind of playing as a little background, either literally <laughs> or just the words of it in my head. And uh, so I kind of see my talk tonight as in a way as a kind of, um, what's it mean to dance me to the end of love? What's our intention? Um, when we sit, um, and, and I, for me, I think a lot about um, course correction. And um, my understanding is that, you know, if you were a sailor before we had um, external kinds of power, like, you know, steam or coal or, you know, not just people rowing, but actually external forms of power, um, you needed to be really sensitive and attuned to the tides and the weather, and you had no power over them. You had no power over the elements through which you sailed, but you did have skills and experience and hopefully companionship um, to try and navigate them. And that most of the time when you were sailing in that way, you were not sailing directly to your destination because you're allowed to have one if you're in a boat. Um, but you were actually flexing and course correcting using the sun and the stars and, and compasses and the sense of the land and the sea all the time um, because you were working all the time with forces far greater than you that moved over you and under you and that you have no control over. And sometimes now I think that we have an idea of practice as being sort of so much more like a kind of speedboat. You know, you get in and you set your intention and you cut through the currents and, you know, you don't really care that much about the wind. And um, even though there's nowhere to go, we might have that idea that intention is going to take us somewhere. And that we, we do that through our mind. We do that through our decision-making process. And um, I'm just really curious about what's your relationship with intention? Um, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you find it in you? What, what do you do? And so I'm really kind of curious as we sail together on, on this marvelous, great, mysterious ocean, you know, rocked by winds that started thousands of miles away. What could we possibly even mean to set an intention? And so for me, part of that is of entering into the mystery, which is we genuinely don't even know the impact of what we're going to do, even with our very best intentions. And I really like Dogen said, he gives us a different perspective. He said, to succeed wrong with wrong, or one continuous mistake, shoshaku jushaku, one continuous mistake, which feels to me like the, the course correction idea of sailing your little boat. <laughs> like, I thought I was going there, but apparently I'm going here. You know, just keep ch shifting all the time. And um, when I was head student, um, I was so glad 
um, that at the end of the um, student completion ceremony, you say, I am deeply grateful for all your help, but I have not been worthy of it. Please forgive my mistakes, for they fill heaven and earth and leave no place to hide. Friends, if my actions and words have misled you, please wash your ears in the pure sound of the present. And please continue your practice. Avowing my limitations, I will continue to practice diligently. And so there's something for me about that's the place I start from is like, I'm going to do my best. Um, some of you will have heard me say this. This has been my little personal mantra for a couple of years now, which is I'm going to do my best. And sometimes it's not very good. It doesn't mean I'm not giving it my best shot. And so I get really curious about how can we be with this? There's no place to hide and my mistakes fill heaven and earth. And I think it's really useful to look with great care and self-compassion and other compassion and to hold in our minds and hearts the vast possible unintended consequences of our intentions. We come from a very limited place in a vast unknowable universe. And as part of our practice, we're invited to look at our relationships and any conflict or relationship or historic oppression. And if we're looking at that, we'll often say something like, oh, that's not what I meant. I didn't mean that to happen. That, you know, that I, that's not what I intended. And it's really true. In most cases, we really didn't intend that to happen. And in fact, so universal is this feeling um, in humans that there are sayings across cultures that are essentially to the effect that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. <laughs> so the idea is that actually we set out, we have good intentions and we don't quite know where they're going to go. And that's often because intention and impact are not the same thing. And many of you will know this from your own deep experiences. I might think about what I intend from this talk, but actually I have no clue of the impact of this. No clue. And I used to ask, um, clients sometimes you know what what was what was helpful um you know trying to assess in some way you know my intention was to be helpful to help relieve suffering and um and maybe here you know it was this you know wise thing i said or you know this marvelous thing we did together or something like that and uh, and i remember one client that i'd really struggled with for a long time it was it was hard work um, for both of us. And um, at the end, I said, you know, what, what, what was helpful? What did you find helpful? <laughs> and she said, you have a really nice house. <laughs> and <laughs> I thought, well, oh, there you go. <laughs> it was, uh, it was, I do have a nice house. <laughs> But it was just such a sort of like, oh, okay, all this stuff that I've been thinking about and working on. And she's just really appreciated coming to a place that she's felt good in. 
And that wasn't my actual intention. But something helped. So I think that we need to kind of think about how we can have an intention, but we really don't know how it's going to land. And um, some while ago, I was reading some uh, relationship kind of guidance advice. And this person who was working with couples said, always describe the best possible motive to someone for what they're doing or saying. And I thought, oh, that's a really kind of interesting idea. And, um, and I was reflecting on my own mistakes. You know, you write a talk and it's kind of like, <laughs> that's what you inhabit. Um, so I was thinking about my own mistakes. And uh, recently I was working in a group, leading, facilitating a group. And, um, and I have a student who I feel a lot of care and respect for uh, expressed a fear. We I was setting up a little practice and they expressed a fear. And uh, in that moment, it felt to me like the kind of fear that's actually, you know, just never going to happen. You know, like me imagining that I might have nothing to say. You know, it's like, it's never going to happen. Um, but she expressed a fear that I experienced. as like, oh, well, that's a, you know, somewhat ludicrous fear. <laughs> And so I kind of said, um, rather too quickly, well, that's never going to happen, is it? And I said it with a good intention out of respect and care, because I know they are someone um, who I really admire. And I watched them crumple. And then the group moved on and it, I didn't address it, you know, like mistake after mistake. As, um, as Dogen said, you know, um, and I know there's someone who struggles to be taken seriously and I had done something really um, casual and unthinking in the group um, and I didn't address it and it sat with me, you know, um, maybe you know that feeling of that kind of slightly waking up at four in the morning feeling a little sick sort of feeling, thinking I shouldn't have done that, I shouldn't have said that. Um, and if I have the opportunity, I will talk to them about it. But what was then interesting to me was that I thought about applying the best of motives. I thought about it for myself. I was wanting her to not believe that was possible about herself. And I thought about some stingy comments I received from some people I respected quite a long time ago. Yeah probably decades, but probably stayed there a little. Um, and I thought, what would it be like if I actually thought, I probably didn't intend me to be thinking about this all these years on. And they probably had the best of motives. And I noticed something sort of dissolving a little in some way. Um, about forgiving them their mistakes finding some way to hold myself in the mistake that I might make. Um, in a talk by Suzuki Roshi um, in 1971, he quoted case 34 of the Book of Equanimity. 
And uh, Fouquetsu giving instruction says, if one raises a speck of dust, the house and the nation prosper. If one does not raise a speck of dust, they perish. Suzuki Roshi said, to pick up a speck of dust means to do something like start a monastery or a Zen group or a Zendo somewhere. For me, I kind of have inhabited this in a slightly more universal way and to think to pick up a speck of dust means that whatever you do, something's going to happen. And you have to pick up the speck or nothing will happen. You can't actually live a life without consequence. John Muir, the great naturalist and a much more contemporary source, said when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. We find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Suzuki Roshi in his talk went on to say many Zen students come to Zen center or go to some other Zen center. Is this something meaningful or not? If something good happens at the same time, something bad will happen. Most likely, if one good thing happens, 10 or 12 or more than 20 bad things will happen. He giggled at that point. So we should think when we pick up a speck of dust, whether it is a good thing or a bad thing. But if you don't, nothing will happen. We also left then. This is also true. As Dogen Zenji said, if you pick up one thing, there is birth and death, enlightenment and delusion, Buddha and sentient beings, and something good and something bad. If you pick up one thing, there is birth and death and enlightenment and delusion. Buddha and sentient beings and something good and something bad. So we call it Genja Koan. This is our Koan to solve, the actual Koan we have. So here's the nub for me of this. We can set our intentions, study ourselves, avow our ancient tangled karma. You know, this stuff didn't start with us. It's not going to finish with us. And as far as we can, we can really try hard not to make things worse. And of course, sometimes we do. So how can we be humble and supported enough to acknowledge that? And here for me is like we can do the dance, we can welcome in the precepts and the parameters. We can think about, you know, how, what would Buddha do? <laughs> you know, if I just let my Buddha nature shine here, what would Buddha do? Um, and we can really pay attention to that knowing that we'll probably still not succeed if success is perfection in speech and thought and action. But we can come back to taking care. We can come back to thinking about not lying, about not, about holding other people in, in equal respect and care and ourselves. So when I was a counselling trainer, which I was for a number of years, um, the three legs of the person-centred approach, which I'm sure lots of you all know about, um, were empathy, unconditional positive regard and congruence. And empathy is understanding the world from someone else's point of view. And unconditional positive regard is kind of ascribing the best possible motives. People are doing the best with what they have in any given moment. 
uh, however badly that's going. <laughs> They're still doing their best. And it was really clear that students found that really those two things were easier for them to kind of wrestle with. But congruence, though, is a much more subtle thing. It's a kind of both self-understanding. What, what am I actually feeling right now? You know, um, <laughs> I, I made the mistake of watching Facebook, looking at Facebook earlier, and um, there was a little cartoon and there were three monks walking along and two of them were behind and one of them was in front and the one in front had this kind of big smile. And the guy said, he doesn't always feel like that. He just has resting bliss face. So <laughs> the joke is, you usually say resting bitch face, but <laughs> it's like, you know, are you someone who's just got resting bliss face or what are you actually feeling? Um, and congruence, the incongruence that really matters is we know what we're feeling. We know what we're actually feeling. And then there's a difference between congruence and transparency. When do I share? When do I say? When do I actually share something of what's moving in me? In the service of our relationship. In the service of intimacy. Because intimacy doesn't happen unless I can feel more known and seen, and I can feel and know more and see the other person. And for me, this is a constant inquiry. How do I do that? When do I do that? When's it gonna serve me? When am I serving my reactivity? You know, Suzanne also talked a little bit about the nervous system and you know we know that most of our communication is trying to keep ourselves safe that's actually nearly all of what we're doing and sometimes that looks really skillful and sometimes it doesn't look very skillful um, again when i was a counseling trainer we had a woman who uh, she was a bolter <laughs> she had a very very low trigger threshold and she would leave the room usually in a kind of panic and a flurry and um, and the rest of the group would kind of sit there going, you know, what, what just happened? What, what was that? Um, and after she did it a few times, I went and I talked to her when she was in a non-triggered state. And, you know, I said, do you know what it feels like when you do that? And, and to, she literally had no idea. In her family, her job was to save the people from her bad feelings and to take herself away until she was sorted. And when she would go back into her family, they reacted as though nothing had happened. So she actually literally had no idea that the rest of the group was kind of sitting there, you know, shocked and juddered and not knowing whether to go after her and that they were starting to not trust her. And they were starting to be a little frightened of her because they didn't like how they felt. And that for me was just such a clear example of how a kind of safety behavior, which is what we're all doing all the time anyway, kind of can really get in our way. So I'm really curious about how do we be honest with ourselves? How do we set that intention to, to be of service to the world, to the vows that we take? Um, and know that we're frail humans who are going to just keep, on some level, blundering along. Um, how do I take care with loving kindness?
How do I hold the other with respect and myself? And we're just going to sit constantly with this small gap, sometimes big gap, sometimes really big gap between our intention and our impact. In the song, Leonard Cohen says, dance me to, through the panic till I'm safely gathered in. <laughs> I think that's, a, that's such a good line for, let's go into a meeting and dance me through the panic until I'm safely gathered in. So we're just going to acknowledge to ourselves that most of us in this dance of love and connection, our very own Genjo Cohen, we're dancing with this conundrum of setting our intention, trying to rest into big mind, trying to be as open and non-defensive as we can, and hold our hands up, avow our mistakes, avow how something landed not the way we meant. He also says, um, raise a tent of shelter now, though every thread is torn. And I think that's what our Sangha is for us. It's a tent of shelter when every thread is torn. It's a place where we can come and soften our sense of separateness and at least try and give each other the benefit we are trying our best. And sometimes, sometimes it's not very good. So at the very end of the song, he says, Lift me like an olive branch and be my homeward dove and show me slowly, show me slowly what I only know the limits of as we dance each other to the end of love. So if anyone is curious about that and would like to meet, I'd love to do that. Thank you. Hi, Kathy. Hi. You know, thank you so much for your talk. It, I found it restorative in a way. Um, one of the questions you asked early on was, so what's, what's the impact? What made a difference? And what I would say is I felt mercy. Hmm from the Dogen quote and from your saying that, you know, you're doing your best and sometimes it's not that good. And um, I'm, I'm, there's a song actually talking about songs, right? Um, and I don't remember the artist, but the name of it is Mercy Now. And one of the lines is, um, we all could use a little mercy now. And, you know, I, I felt that in my bones. And when you were talking, I felt like you were sharing that with us. Mm. And so I wanted to come on and say thank you. Uh, I love that. that. That's a word that's often in my heart is to, in a merciless world. Right. Have a little mercy. Yeah. That, that's... And and you were saying, you know, you don't know the impact of what you do. And if we can just, and I, that's what, you know, bring, giving someone the best intention, that's treating them with mercy. And 
you don't know what the how how far out that can reach. Yeah. But um we know it's better than not than not being merciful, right? We know it has to have better uh, better I don't think about it, ex better energy out into yeah. the world. Yeah. And that that intention to just try not to make things worse. Right. Right. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. And now we have Cassie. Hey, Cassie. Good to see you. Uh, <clears throat> just love the sound of your voice. It's just a wonderful experience being with you. Um. I guess what I keyed on in your talk was um, how do we know what our intention is? Mm. And, um, you know, I I know that I have times that I like am walking around on default, you know, <laughs> and just unaware. And then like, I'll, I'll do the inquiry after to mm. like check in on something. Um, and like there it seems like i have such a subtle difference like with an agenda like an agenda is oh tricky 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 agenda yeah. um, it looks like you know you know you asked that question like how do i know what my intention is and and it looks like it's a really embodied visceral experience for you it's like I know when I'm trying to make something happen and that's got a different feel and a, a, a different taste maybe. Yeah, but it's subtle. Yeah, which is why we practice for decades. <laughs> yeah, um, I had a uh, photo class that started last night and um, um, I was talking about how a camera always takes a picture in two directions, you know, what we're looking at and what we're reflecting into it. Yeah. And um, that, uh, like, if I'm feeling playful and curious when I take that picture, then that shows up. And, like, I was trying to figure out how to tell them that sounds like you just did a great job of saying it <laughs> i'm not sure it lands you know well, <laughs> i think i sound a bit nuts sometimes when i'm doing this stuff yeah but we offer the nuts things don't we like you know i think they're like little um you know, little seeds along the way, you know, they're the breadcrumbs to the truth, you know, and people don't get the whole loaf. They just know, you know, none of us do. But he, you know, here's this little bit. Can I tempt you a little bit more? Can I intrigue you or excite you a little bit about? And can you notice it? Yeah, can you notice it? That's the, yeah, and that's back to the intention thing, you know, and if I'm going to like sit on the cushion and make a fabulous to-do list. Yeah. It'd be a great to-do list, but it's not, <laughs> but it's not, 
I don't think, I don't even think that's meditation. I don't even think that's sitting. I think that's working that agenda. Um, that's planning. Yeah. Yeah. And noticing I need to do that sometimes or, yeah, mercy. You know, that I, I love that word. I was so grateful for that word coming in. It's like, you know, yeah, how do we keep having mercy on ourselves for being, you know, the hot mess we are? Yeah, and the things that I don't deal with. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Me right. too. <laughs> Thanks, Judy. Thank so you. good to see you. Rosemary. Hi, Trudy. Hi, Rosemary. Nice to see you and, and thank you. And Cassie, thank you for talking about um, appreciating Trudy's voice because um, I, I get the same uh, feeling. And um, in your last talk, the last talk that I heard, the one right before your um, entrustment, um, you, you, I think you started with what's here. I don't know if you were doing this, but what's here. And that just really stayed with me love that and today it was um what's your intention and um i appreciated the the issue with your patient your client and i'm always interested in well she's going to say this and because obviously it's me and um it was like oh trudy's gonna say i wonder and this is from josh i wonder you know <laughs> I wonder what that was about. And then yeah. you may have done that also, but your application of um, applying the best motive, not only to others, but to yourself was really moving to me. Yeah, um, yeah a, a real teaching for me. Um, and I also thought may maybe the reason that I'm not thinking about intention as much as one could um is i don't like to know when when my intention is doesn't have the impact that i have intended you know that i, I don't receive it in as graceful a way as you demonstrated and i really appreciated um mm. that teaching mm. and 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 finding ways to, uh um suzuki roshi again kind of famously talked about you know what's your inmost request and for me it's like that is a thing that emerges that's not a thing i decide my inmost request comes from big mind it's an expression of my buddha nature my intention when it has an agenda is my small mind kind of going i'm going to do that i want this this is going to happen you know, and then it's going to have this wonderful desired effect. And um, I think we have to create a lot of space and a lot of community to help us find ways to sit in. What what is what is my inmost request at this moment with the resources I've got that I could do? Um, and I. <laughs> I, I would say that when I meet that in myself, it's nearly always the thing I don't particularly want to do. <laughs> so my my inmost request is not to watch more Netflix. <laughs> it's, you know, it's it just isn't. Um, 
you know, and I might have an intention to relax, you know, it's like really unhook. What is this intention that's allied with our, aligned with our, you know, the Bodhisattva vow to free all beings, the impossible thing. I think our inmost request also feels in that kind of territory, the impossible thing. Well, I'm going to give it my best shot. And hope people hold me when I fall. So the intention is more um, interference sometimes. There can be intention that's definitely a kind of, yeah, you're too much in the power boat and not enough on the sailboat, feeling the wind, feeling the waves. And and acknowledging currents and all those things that you you haven't uh, that that you mentioned that we have don't have control over. Absolutely. Putting ourselves in a bigger bigger space. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Good to see. Good to see you. Catherine, lovely to see you. Couldn't uh, pass up the chance just to make a connection with you, mm. Mm. and to say that was a beautiful talk. I love the honesty of it. Very touching to me, mm. and it's like, oh yeah, because I sort of struggle with perfectionism. Some over some things, and it's like, yeah, this is the antidote to perfectionism. Mercy on yourself and mercy on other people. Yeah. And I was thinking about um, in my circumstances, my my in best intention is to be kind to my husband, and very yeah. often I just end up irritated by his lack of memory, and. And that's painful. And what I'm sort of seeing is, and it's inevitable. It feels like if you plant an intention somehow, lots of other little things, you know, like you plant this, and lots of other little things immediately spring up around. It's like you've said, you've made your yes, and all the no's kind of come out in various sort of ways. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and you know that phrase, you know, love brings up things most unlike itself. You know, and so that sense exactly that of like, you know, this is my intention. And because it's my intention, I feel my irritation. You know, if you didn't intend it, if you didn't intend to be loving and kind and open, you might not even notice how irritated you are. No. Yeah. that's really helpful like yeah 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 and yeah. it's inevitable utterly and it's part of grief yeah 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 it's that's that's very helpful i feel <laughs> i feel kinder to myself and i love the word mercy what we can give and it's what we all need yeah absolutely so that's the 
that's the kind of we can have that in our ocean currents all the time you know then even though we're getting rocked about it's like there's that possibility always of mercy i was thinking how mercy induces softness and perfectionism induces a kind of rigidity and hardness yeah and that's a felt yeah. body isn't it i was just thinking what a great you know the way you know all these kind of gorgeous students know know what you need it's like you know your own medicine <laughs> <laughs> you know the true medicine you know the true medicine you know thank you There's um, a saying that's attributed to, I think, Longfellow, which is, goes along the lines. And um, like many things, it's probably a, somewhat of a jumble, but it's um, if you knew the secret history of even your worst enemy, you could not take to arms. If we really knew what was going on for every single person in the planet. Um, you couldn't fight. Probably. <laughs> Maybe as Suzuki Roshi says, not always so. <laughs> but, oh. Jill. Um, I'm coming in right at the end, but I think the bit that's really stayed, which I think was probably maybe quite an obvious point, but was how it felt like you found mercy for the people who had hurt you. And then, so maybe that was just such, maybe you did nothing wrong in that, mm. in that statement to the student that you really respected, even though she didn't receive as you'd intended. And, you know, it's just that felt so expansive for you. And then maybe at some point along the way, because she knows and loves you, she'll be able to sort of feel more mercy for herself and her fear and for you. And maybe that was really obvious what you were saying, but that's just really worked on me. Oh, I think, I think that would be my hope. And I would, I would hope for that. And I'd also have to, you know, hold up my hands if that's not where it lands or arrives. But it was, it was real, you know, having carried those pointy remarks, a couple of points, I don't carry a lot, but I really carried a couple of things. And, and it was like, oh, what if I just thought they'd been a bit of an arse? <laughs> you know, they'd made a, you know, they, it was, they had a good intention, but it didn't land well. No. And it really did. It was like, oh. Hmm. Maybe I, I could spend that. a decade without those barbs in. <laughs> yeah, and thank you. I loved hearing you and seeing you. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so we'll um, bring our lovely meeting to an end. I just, as I 
I will say the four practice principles, but I just wanted to offer as well this for everyone, which is may our intention equally permeate every being and place with the true merit of Buddha's way. Now, if we say the four practice principles together. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. Being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Thank you all very much for being with us tonight and thank you Jessica, Jessica for all your lovely care and we'll hand over to Maria for the after inquiry porch. Thank you. Thank you so much Trudy for your talk on mercy and intention. Um, thank you everyone for your uh, attendance and your contribution. Uh, your contributions to Apamada and to just this Sangha and to Open Door and to all of our sister Sanghas throughout the world makes so much of a difference. Uh, so thank you for all you bring. I've placed a link in the chat if you'd like to make a contribution online to uh, just this or Apamada. Thank you so much and thank you, Maria, for taking it from here. <laughs>